Section 2 of Birds and Nature, Volume 10, Number 4, November 1901. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rachel Evangeline Barham. The Pine Grosbeak, Pinicola Enucleator. Ere the crossbills leave the pine woods, ere the grosbeaks seek the ash seeds. Frank Bowles, The Logcock. The name grosbeak, or great beak, is a common name for a number of birds that possess large, thick, and strong bills, which are adapted to crushing fruits and seeds. Unfortunately, this name has been indiscriminately applied to the representatives of several bird families. The true grosbeaks are related to the goldfinch, the finches, the sparrows, the buntings, and the crossbills. In fact, they have some of the marked characteristics of the latter birds, as neither develop the fully adult plumage for several years. The pine grosbeak must be sought in the northern regions of the northern hemisphere, where the vast forests of cone-bearing trees are found, or among the coniferous trees of the high altitudes of the western mountain regions of the United States. In the latter place they are not abundant. It seems to be at home and contented only in the cold, crisp air of the far north, and seldom seeks a more temperate climate, except when the winters are unusually severe or there is a scarcity of food in its native haunts. It is a frequent winter visitor to the northern tier of the United States, and is quite abundant at this season in some portions of New England. Except during the nesting season, the pine grosbeaks are gregarious and are frequently seen in flocks of 15 or more individuals. In the winter climate of the northern United States, these flocks contain many more immature than adult birds, the younger ones seeming to be less able to withstand the severer cold of more arctic regions. Thus, in this district, the more brilliant plumage of the fully adult male is rarely seen and becomes a valuable acquisition to the naturalists, for the younger birds and the females are less showy. Speaking of the beautiful male bird, someone has said, Scarcely can the southern climes send us a more brilliant migrant than this casual visitor from the north. There is a slight variation in the plumage coloration and in the shape of the bills of the pine grosbeaks of widely separated regions. These variations have led ornithologists to group these birds under geographical races, giving each race a varietal name. Speaking of the pine grosbeaks of Siberia, Mr. Seabohm says, Almost all the forest districts are hilly, and in the north, as the trees become smaller, they are also more thinly scattered over the ground, and the interminable extent of wood is broken by occasional flat open spaces and open marshes, which become gray with flowers as soon as the snow melts. The scenery is much more park-like than further south, and these birds are much more plentiful and more easily seen. In the large pine forests, they prefer the banks of the rivers or the outskirts of some open place, and may often escape detection because of their habit of frequenting the tops of trees. Within the Arctic Circle, many of the trees are small, and on the hilly ground they are scattered in small clumps. In places like these, the pine grosbeaks may often be seen perched conspicuously on the top of a spruce fir, twenty or thirty feet from the ground, but looking so much like the last spike of the tree as frequently to escape notice. The pine grosbeak is a retiring bird and would seem to be somewhat shy, as it does not frequent the roadside or inhabited places, except when forced to do so by the lack of food. This, however, is not the case, 
for in the forest where it makes its home, it is not difficult to approach it. It will frequently alight and begin feeding within a few feet of an observer. The song of the European form of the species is said to be exceedingly agreeable, varied, melodious, sonorous, sometimes strong, sometimes soft. It is also a mocker, and to a limited extent will imitate the voices of other birds. Dr. Cowes likens its song to that of the purple finch, and says that during the late summer and winter it is clear, sweet, and flowing. Its call note is single, sweet, and plaintive, not unlike that of the well-known bullfinch. Pine seeds seem to form the principal food of the pine gross beak, though it also feeds extensively on those of the birch, alder, and related trees. At times it will descend to the ground and gather the seeds of herbaceous plants and may eat a few insects. Dr. Dahl, writing of the pine growth beak as he found it in Alaska, says, I have opened the crops of a great many, and always found them filled with what I for a long time supposed to be spruce buds, but on closer examination I found that they were the hearts of the poplar buds, with the scales and other external coverings carefully rejected. I have never found anything else in their crops. In those regions where the mountain ash abounds, the berries of this beautiful tree form a very important part of their diet whenever it frequents such a district. The outer wall of the home of this denizen of the forest is constructed of a framework of slender fir or pine twigs. Inside of this wall, and projecting above it, is placed a lining of fine roots and grass, woven with a fine hair-like lichen. The pine grosbeak seems to bear confinement, but when caged it is said that after the first molting, the crimson color of the plumage is replaced by a bright yellow. Mr. E. W. Nelson observed these birds in Alaska and says, During winter, while traveling along the frozen surfaces of the watercourses of the interior, it is common to note a party of these birds busy among the cottonwood tops, uttering their cheerful lisping notes as they move from tree to tree. I have frequently passed a pleasant half-hour on the wintry banks of the Yukon, while making a midday halt and waiting for the natives to melt the snow for our tea, listening to the chirping and fluttering of these birds as they came trooping along the edges of the snow-laden woods in small parties. They rarely paid any attention to us, but kept on their way and were ere long lost to sight in the midst of the bending treetops, and silence again pervaded the dim vistas of the low woods. Beyond the faint, soft call note uttered as these birds trooped along through the forests, I never heard them make any sound. End of section two. Recording by Rachel Evangeline Barham.